I want you to turn over to John chapter 21, and I want you to take your Bibles and hold them there on your lap because I want to uh, try, and I'll do this as quickly as I can, to go through this chapter. I don't want to read through it. I just want to comment on it as we read through it. There's different ways to preach God's Word, isn't there? Uh, preachers have their different styles, and, and we, we as preachers all preach different ourselves sometimes. And I just want to go through this and, and look at it. And one of the reasons I want to do this is because all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. They tell us that means it's God-breathed. Scripture comes from the soul of God, the heart of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I'm going to read to you from the mouth of God this morning. Isn't that amazing? This is what God says from His heart to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It's profitable. Brother Paul said sometimes he thinks we ought to just get up and read these chapters. That's the best message you could have, isn't it? It's profitable. So many things in this life is profitable to us. It's profitable to exercise, isn't it? Profitable to eat. Profitable to rest but you know that's temporary this is profitable for all eternity the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life profitable for doctrine this Bible tells us what we should believe who we should believe he just mentions that there in, in verse 31 these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, not doing, but believing, you might have life through His name. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof. These things are written to keep us from erring. These things are written to check our conscience and keep us in the right way. And then for correction when we do err. The Word of God will Reprove us, and then it will rebuke us, and it will correct us. Correction, and for instructions in righteousness. Tell you what the Word of God will do. It will instruct us in the righteousness which God requires. And it will turn right around and instruct us in this, that we don't have it. And that God has provided it. And it's in His Son. And it's ours by faith. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Instructions in righteousness. And I tell you, instructions in a right life. It will instruct you on how to live. Aren't you glad that God doesn't save somebody and just turn them loose and say, Now, you know, you're, you're saved forever. We are. But aren't you glad that He guides you in the way that's right? The shame you'd bring on yourself, the shame you'd bring on one another, the shame we'd bring on the Lord's name if He didn't guide us in the right way. This way shall be called a way of holiness, a highway of holiness. And the Bible will instruct us how to walk and please God and increase in that more. So that's why I want us to look. Just look at this and, 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 and it'll be profitable. This will be, I know that. This word will be profitable. You may not get much out of my comments on 
but this word will profit us. And I'm preaching it this morning with that confidence. So let's look at it. Let's look first of all at verses 1 through verse 3 and just comment on them for a few minutes. This is where the Lord Jesus had risen from the dead, already appeared once to his disciples. And look at this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. On this wise he showed himself. There were gathered together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples, seven of them. And Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now the first thing I want to see about his disciples was what a work ethic these men had. What a work ethic they had. And, and some have said this, and I think it's probably so. This is my understanding. Peter didn't say, I'm hungry and I'm going to go catch me some fish to eat. What he was saying, I'm going back to my occupation. I'm going back to fishing. And you know, I can't find a thing wrong with that, can you? He didn't know what else to do. The Lord hadn't instructed him yet what to do. And, and he said, I'm going back to my occupation. I'm going to feed my family. I'm going to feed myself. I'm going, to, I'm going to help society. I've got this business, and I'm going back to it. That's what he said. That's wonderful, isn't it? I had a preacher come over to preach for me one time, and I got a little bit acquainted with him, had him come over to preach for me. And I was talking with him after that, and I asked him what he did. And he said, uh, he said well, I don't do anything. I just hang around the house. My wife works. And uh, I said, I said, uh, uh, you're looking for your job? He said, oh, no, I'm not looking for a job. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I'm thinking maybe the Lord might call me to pastor, so I don't want to go get a job. It don't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. Did you ever know in your own experience the Lord calling a man and sending him to labor and feeding his sheep and called him out of bed to do it? Or called him off of his couch to do it? What were you doing, Paul, when he called you? You're working on the railroad. You had a shop. I never know the Lord to call a man to feed his sheep and call him because he wasn't doing anything to start with. <laughs> Gideon was threshing wheat to feed his family, wasn't he? David was taking care of his father's sheep when they called him and anointed him to be king of Israel. When Elijah went down to anoint Elijah to follow him, what was Elijah doing? Plowing a field with oxen. These men were fishermen. Matthew was sitting at the receipt of custom. The Lord never called anybody off a couch or out of his bed to feed his sheep. I was talking to my sister not too long ago and she's upset. She said, they're in the area where they live. She said, everybody's on welfare. I said, I said, sis, there's people that can't work. There's people that's injured inside or outside. And some she said, I'm not talking about those people. She said, I know that. And I'm willing to help those people. She said, these are lazy people that won't work. You know the Bible deals with that. The scriptures are profitable. They enter into every aspect of our life, don't they? Hold that right there and let me show you that right quickly and then we'll move on. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look down in verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7. Look at this. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto, to you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort you. Look at this. By our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their bread. And my sister said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. I was working when the Lord called me. Some of you were too, weren't you? You were. Look back now at our text again, chapter 21 of John. These men had a worth ethic. They worked. And look in verse 3 through verse 5. Look at this. This is very interesting. When Simon Peter said there in verse 3, I go fishing, they entered into a ship and immediately, and that night they caught nothing. And in verse 4, And when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then said unto them, he said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him and said, No. No, I can almost hear them. I, this is just human nature. I can almost hear them. Watch it to him anyway. Who is that guy over there on the shore? Here we fish and I'm, I'm, I'm aching and I'm tired. No. No. You know, wouldn't you have said that? That's something like we'd have said. No. Well, there are times in every child of God's life that he has his nights where he catches nothing. Preachers has it in their studies. Have you ever went to your study and somebody stole the words off the pages? There was nothing there. Churches go through times like that. When, when there's no fruit, it's tough to preach, it's tough to pray, you struggle. You labor all night and you catch nothing. And you know sometimes, brothers and sisters, the Lord is teaching us lessons by these long, barren nights in which we struggle and labor and toil and catch nothing. He's teaching us a lesson by doing that. And here's one of the lessons that He's teaching us. He's going to let us know what He let these disciples know, what He had taught them before. Without me, you can do nothing. You can't even catch a fish. Now, he told them that before, but I guess now he's going to teach them by experience. He already said to them, listen, fellas, you ain't going to do anything without me. You're going to labor in vain, and you're going to toil and spend your strength for naught. 
And here he taught them that, boy. And that's a tough lesson to learn, isn't it? That's a tough lesson to learn. You know why they didn't catch anything? Lord wasn't going to let them catch anything. Some people said, oh, the devil, he's doing this. People give the devil so much credit, don't they? And everything that humbles us and brings us down to utter dependence upon the Lord, they, they blame the devil for it. Often the Lord himself by his own hand brings us down. And lets us know, you're not going to accomplish anything if I'm not in it. I can almost hear these fish saying, stay away from the left side of the boat, fellas. <laughs> Why is that? It don't matter. The Lord said, stay away from the left side of the boat. He don't want any of us to get caught. And they fished all night long and took nothing. You caught anything, fellas? No. You ever been there? Oh, my, have we been there. Have we been? been there I wonder if these fellas prayed before they went fishing I wonder if they prayed before they said we're going back to our occupation no they didn't no they didn't you say Bruce how do you know that the Bible tells us they didn't Peter said I'm going fishing they said we're going with you and immediately they went into the boat and didn't catch anything all that night I think there may be a correlation there don't you I had a friend of mine, he said the family was going to buy a little pet dog, and he said, well, we're praying about it. <laughs> I thought, how, how silly is that? Ah, it ain't so silly, is it? What does the Bible say? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. They may not have caught anything if they went out there after they sought the Lord. But at least they wouldn't have had to bore the guilt on their conscience. We didn't even seek Him. I bet you when Lot looked out and saw those well-watered plains, and Abraham said, you choose which direction you're going, I bet you he didn't go back to the tent and get on his knees and say, oh Lord, what a mess I can make here. Oh, please have mercy upon me and my family. If I make the wrong choice here, what a mess I'll make. Lord, I'm a poor, needy sinner. Please direct my steps. When Naomi and her husband left the land of bread and went down into Moab, I bet you they never prayed and sought the Lord for that decision, did they? There has to be a correlation between Lot looking out over those well-watered plains and then being grieved and vexed with a filthy conversation of the wicked. I tell you, brothers and sisters, in everything, you and I are so weak and we can err so quickly and spend our long nights in labor and accomplish nothing. If it's worth doing, it's worth seeking His face. Please have mercy upon me, Lord. Lead me. Don't leave me alone. They never prayed, did they? They never prayed. Children, have you any meat? No. And I'm tired. I'm tired, and I'm barren. Did you seek my face? No. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Mm. And look here in verse 6. What a blessing this is. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. 
They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Notice how quickly the Lord can turn our barrenness into a blessing. How near the blessing of the Lord was to them. But it just took His presence and it took His Word to guide them. Just turned around and there it was. Oh, here we go sometimes. And, and, and boy, we know, Lord, nothing's being accomplished. But suddenly, just suddenly, He just speaks a word. He just gives us His presence. And suddenly, the desert that was so dry and barren begins to blossom like a rose. Oh, don't we need His leadership? Don't we need His presence? And maybe you're here this morning and you feel this way. I've felt this way so, so many times. And boy, all of a sudden, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, the Lord's able to bless me about six months. You know, He can gradually and slowly. But sometimes, haven't you had Him to just show up and just overwhelm you with joy? Mary Magdalene, bless her heart, she was so heavy and weeping and went up there to the tomb and somewhere or another she was wanting to take the Lord and bury Him in another place. She was so sad and felt so hopeless and helpless. Then suddenly she heard somebody say, Mary, and she left that place full of joy. Those two men on the road to Emmaus and they were so sad as they walked with each other. And the Lord showed up and suddenly began to open the scriptures to them. And they sat down and one of them said to the other, Did your heart burn like mine did? He changes everything, don't he? And he can change it so quickly. Have you any meat? No. Then just turn right around and cast your net on the other side. And that's what they did. And they got so many fish that they struggled to get them to shore. Oh, how quickly, brothers and sisters, the Lord can bless us. This church went without a pastor for how long? Two years? It's tough, wasn't it? But all of a sudden, look what happened. Just out of the blue, you turned to the other side of the ship, and there he was. <laughs> oh, what a blessing. The Lord can bless us so quickly. Notice this. I almost I laughed when I, when I read this. In verse 7, Notice how rough, notice how crude the culture of these men was. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. Now some tell us they had sort of an underwear type. There were and others said, No, they fished naked. On these hot nights in, the, in this part of the country, they, of the night, they literally fished naked. They had these old, these old fishermen's coats. If they needed to, they'd gird it around them. Peter was fishing naked. Here was a grown man, a disciple of the Lord, and he was naked. Isn't that amazing? What a crude culture this was. You see these men coming to you, and, and, and man, the feet was caked with mud sometime on those old muddy roads. Sometimes they got hungry and went through a, a field of wheat and they'd just strip them off a bunch and rub it in their old dirty hands and stick it in their mouth and eat it. Well, we've got fine today. Man, we got to have the finest of everything, don't we? And that's all right. That's all right. Uh, fine houses, 
beautiful houses, the best vehicles, the cleanest vehicles, nice clothes. Uh, Brother Lance Heller, some of you may have seen this, the little newsletter that he sends out, and he had a picture of one of the guys there in New Guinea. Sampson is his name. The Lord has called him to preach, and he, he, and, and, and he said, man, what a preacher old Sampson is. Uh, I, he, he sent a, out a photograph of him, and his house was in behind him, and his steps is propped up with rocks, just a bunch of old rocks. And I got to look at that picture, and I saw a little baby, looked like about a year old, and he was naked as a jaybird playing in under that old house. Brothers and sisters, it's all right. It's, 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 it's befallen us in our day, and we can't help it. We live in a time and in a place where we have these nice things. And that's fine if we'll not begin to equate these things with godliness. The Lord's visiting those folks in New Guinea. Their babies go around naked. These were apostles of the Lord and one of them was fishing naked. They're so different than we are. But the Lord blessed them and loved them and knew them. We don't want to forget that the one whom the Lord Jesus Christ loved lay full of sores and begged for what rags he wore and begged for the crumbs he eat. And the angels bundled him up in their wings and bore them, uh, him up to the Father's house. The fellow that prospered every day uh, was taken by angels and stuck in the hole in the pit. We have our things and thank God for them. And we're going to have them because that's just the culture we live in. But boy, don't acquaint them with God's blessings. Peter was naked out fishing. And verse 8 and 9, look at this. And the other disciples whom were there in the little ship, for they were not far from the land, they came, as it were about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid their own and bread. Now I want you to notice what it said. He didn't say there was a flaming fire, but there was a fire of coals. Now that tells us something. When do you get your coals on your fire? That's after the fire's burned down. That's after you burn all the wood and the blaze has gone out and it's been burning long enough to just leave the hot coals. So that indicates that he'd been set in there for a while. Doesn't it? They didn't know it. But all the while, they'd been there struggling and so frustrated and so barren, he was watching every move. He had a camp for him and was sitting that way. Isn't this one of our greatest burdens of our hearts that we think he don't see us? He don't see us. That, that was Israel's problem of old. This is what they sometimes said. My way is hid from the Lord. And my cause, my judgment, my cause is passed over from my God. And he said, have you not known? 
Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is he weary? You think he's weary with you because you're weary with yourself. You think he can see no further than you can? Because it's dark out of your eyes, it's dark out of his. He's there and he sees, doesn't he? There's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and them that have no might, he increases strength. Our Lord Jesus is in heaven, is he not? He's there in heaven, a long way from us, as we see it. But he's camped out there. And he's not only seeing his people, he knows everything they go through, He's controlling everything they go to. And when he's pleased, he'll bring them and their fishes to heaven's coast. And you know something? He won't lose a one of them. That's what he said, wasn't it? Bring these fishes, and how many was lost? Not a one of them. Not a one of them. How many did he catch? Did you ever wonder why the Lord told how many fish are they? Why would the Holy Ghost insert this in here in verse 9? In verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, Bring now the fishes which you've caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and 153, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Did you ever wonder why he mentions the number of fishes? I was reading this. I don't know if this is true. I was reading uh, a, a pamphlet on the Sea of Galilee. And this man affirms this. I don't know if it's true, but he affirms this. He said they went there to do a study on this sea, and he said they found that there was 153 species of fish in this lake. Ain't that amazing? They caught, they caught a channel cat, the biggest channel cat in the lake. They caught a walleye, biggest walleye, caught a crappie, the biggest crappie, caught 153 fish, one of every species in this life. Boy, can't we spiritualize that? Can't we spiritualize that? When the Lord sent His disciples out, said, you start here at Jerusalem, these blood-red sinners, one that spit in my face, mocked me while I was dying, you start right here, and you preach me to them, then you go to Judea, then you go to Samaria, and then you go to the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, I'm going to save all kinds of sinners. All kinds of them. And brothers in heaven, did he not tell us there's going to be sinners from, from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation? In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And you know something? When he gets them in his net, he'll never get out. We, we had a farm pond when I was growing up on a little farm my dad owned, and we had two big bass, two huge bass, and, and my brothers couldn't catch them, so they come up with this bright idea that's going to get them a net. And, and uh, I got out there and helped them. I was just a little bitty fellow, but we caught two big bass in that net, and I'm telling you, they wore us out. Flopping and jumping and twisting and jerking us two bass. Can you imagine how difficult it was to get 153 large fish up in that boat? But they didn't lose one of them. 
And listen, brothers and sisters, this is the comfort. We're big sinners. We're heavy sinners. And sometimes we struggle. But the Lord is never going to lose a one of us. I will not. I will not. Desert to my foes. This is the will of him that sent me. That of all which he hath given me. I should lose what? Nothing. Nothing. Not a one. Satan will never lift a child of God, a blood-bought child of God up in hell and say, look what I've got. He'd rejoice for all eternity. It'll never happen. He'll bring his safe to heaven's coast. He'll present him to his heavenly Father without fault or wrinkle or spot or any such thing. You think he's going to let this example outdo him? These poor fishermen brought all their fish to net and he can't bring his to heaven? Oh, it'll never happen, will it? Though there were so many and though they were so large, he brought them all. He brought them all. Let's go on. We've got to do quickly. And here in verse 12, he said, Come and, night, come and dine, and none of the disciples doth ask him, Who art thou? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. He said, sit down. Sit down, my brethren. I'm going to serve you. That's what he did, wasn't it? Isn't this amazing? He had risen from the dead in this glorious body. And he was still serving his disciples. What's he doing today? We say we're serving him. We are. God help us to serve him better. But you know he's still serving us. He's in the presence of God for us. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true covenant. Oh, if he serves us still and he's the Lord of glory, shouldn't we serve one another? If he's washed our feet, shouldn't we wash one another's feet? If he laid down his life for us, shouldn't we lay down our life one for another? Oh, it's just asking too much. The church just asked me to do too much. After what he's done for us. What is it that we wouldn't do and shouldn't do, couldn't do, if we use him as our blessed example? Sit down and I'll serve you. Hmm. That just makes you want to stop and weep, doesn't it? Boy, verses 14 through verse 17, right quickly. This was the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. And when they had died, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said it the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Boy, ain't this a searching question. You know, every time, I've, I've been on this way for 40-something years. And still to this very day, especially sometimes when, when I'm weak and when I'm tempted, I have difficulty saying this. 
I understand why young Christians, and, and, and especially those who are going through trials, have trouble saying this sometimes. Because this is the most searching question anybody has ever been asked. It goes right to the heart. To say, Lord Jesus, the Son of God, I love you. I love him. Don't you love him? But ain't that a searching question? And here I guess we could look at it this way. For those who have a difficult time with it. And we have people all over the place saying, I love the Lord. We know better, don't we? But think of this. Have you always loved him? No. No. Do you have a good reason for loving him now? Has he done something for you that would cause you to love him? Maybe you cried unto him in your desperation. And he delivered your soul from death. And your eyes from tears and your feet from falling. He has forgiven you a mountain of sins. Has he not? Then you got reason to say, and you should say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say that. Everybody say it. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you got reason to love him. You're not being a hypocrite when you say you do. God will bear witness to that. But there's two parts to this question. You don't notice this? He said, first of all, Peter, lovest thou me? That's the first part. That's a good question to ask yourself. But there's another part that he asked. More than these? Lovest thou me more than these? Mm, that's the second part of that, isn't it? Peter, you love me more than you love your occupation of fishing. Peter, I know you love your fishing brother. Do you love me more than you love them? I know you love to eat fish. You love me more than you love to eat fish. Peter, lovest thou me more? Well, that's a searching question too, isn't it? A child of God will never lose this grace of his love for Christ. You'll never lose that. But oh my goodness, can it not go cold? It gets back to these things. And there's nothing wrong. It's commendable. And I encourage young people, get an education. Get yourself a skill. Be able not only to support your family, support them well. That's commendable. Nothing wrong with that. Spend time doing that. Spend time getting a good job. Nothing wrong with having the finest vehicle in the county. There's nothing, brothers and sisters, wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a farm to supplement your income or just doing it for the joy of it. There's nothing wrong with that. So many things there's nothing wrong with. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I love him more than these? When these, when these are sweeter to meditate upon than Him. When these come between my worship of Him, when these perpetually hinder me from serving Him, then I have to seriously consider this. Bruce, are you loving them more than Him? The Word of God directs 
our worship and service of the Lord. Tells us how. Faith is the means by which we do it. By faith, Abraham went out. Love is the motive. And if love takes precedent over everything, then you won't greatly err in your service, in your worship of him. Lovest thou me more than these? Lastly, and let's go on to verse 18 quickly, and we'll finish this quickly. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Peter, when you were young, you girded yourself, and you walked whether you wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth your hand, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Peter, follow me. And look at this. Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on Jesus' breast at supper, and said, Lord, what about this fellow? What's he going to do? Verse 21, Peter seeing him said, Jesus, Lord Jesus, what shall this man do? And the Lord said, if I will till he, that he tarry till I come, what is that any of your business? <laughs> follow me. He had to tell Peter twice, follow, follow me. There's such a good lesson in this, brothers, and we have to apply it to ourselves by God's grace. Aren't we in the habit of turning around? And did you ever notice, especially if you're driving down the road and you turn around, you'll go off in the ditch. If you look over in this way, you're in the other lane of traffic. One of the worst things you can do is turn around. Peter got a severe rebuke from the Lord. And his rebuke was over this. Peter, watch it any of your business. What's, what's your life? Any of my business? I'm having a difficult time myself following the Lord. And I don't have the time or energy or the wisdom to straighten you out. Peter, shut up and mind your business. That's what he told him, wasn't it? You know, this is the best thing I think we could... You know the scripture talks about esteeming your brother better than yourself. And I think if we could see ourselves as we really were, we'd say, there's no sense to me looking behind me. There's nobody back there. I am bringing up the rear. If I want to see my brothers and my sisters, I'm going to have to look up ahead of me. That's where they're at. And what a mess Peter got. And look what an error he started. He started this error that John's not going to die until the Lord comes again. That wasn't what the Lord said. The Lord said, if I will, it's my business if I want him to live until I come back again. That's my business. Ain't nothing to you. And Peter started going around saying, John ain't going to die. That's the way errors. As soon as we get our minds and our hearts off of the Lord, when we stop following him ourselves and try to straighten everybody else's life out, that's when we get ourselves in trouble and may get some errors started in the church. Peter, shut up and mind your own business. You know there's a verse in the Bible that says that. Let me read it to you and then we'll quit. Look over in 1 Thessalonians. 
chapter 4. I'm going to preach a message someday on shut up and mind your own business. <laughs> Look First Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it towards all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business. What's he saying? Shut up. And mind your own business. And if you've done that, brothers and sisters, you'll be successful in walking with the Lord. Lord bless His Word. You're awful easy to preach to.